I am Michael, and tonight I am joined by Tanner and Christopher, who I'll let them introduce themselves here in, in a minute, and we are going to do a faculty meeting, number 128, I believe, where we're going to talk about backgrounds and how you can incorporate them into an existing story, why you might want to, uh, maybe some reasons why you might not want to if we get around to that. Uh, the goal, hopefully, is that some people in chat, if there are any in chat, will uh, prompt us with some backgrounds and some overall stories that we can use. And as a group, we're going to kind of brainstorm and see what we can come up with. Uh, but before we get too far into it, I'll let the other co-hosts introduce themselves. I'll start with Christopher. Christopher, say hello to everyone and tell them who you are. Hello to everyone. I am Christopher, uh, formerly of the Sharkbone Podcast, a proud member of the RPG Academy Network. Mm -hmm. Currently, um, the only host of Excess Advantage, a podcast dedicated to Genesis ro role-playing game by Fantasy Flight. I am probably not very well known anywhere by anybody, so hi, I'm me. And where could they find you on Twitter if they wanted to get to know you better? If you want to find me on pretty much anything that's not Facebook, I am C double underscore Beck. That's C underscore underscore B-E-C-K. Uh, Twitter, um, Discord, various uh, forums. I'm uh, not really on Google Plus anymore, but they have you to use your real name anyway. So, is anybody on Google Plus anymore? I'm really not anymore, so I don't think so. See, I keep hearing that that Google Plus is a great place for RPG talk, but every time I go there, it's like a wasteland. Maybe we're not in the right space. It could be. Could be. Maybe they just like, oh, they're here. Everyone leave. All right, so Tanner, go ahead and say hello to everyone. Tell them who you are. Hi, I'm Tanner. I am the showrunner and one of the GMs on the Shadow of the Cabal podcast, a proud member of the RPG Academy Network. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we're having a great time there. Um, I can be found on Twitter, manning the Shadow of the Cabal Twitter feed there, at SOTCpod. And um, we're having a good time playing some intense, uh, high-action, high-entry role-playing games. It's a good time. All right. Very cool. And before we get too far into things as well, I just want to always, as always, remind everyone that we are still having a Twitch follower drive. Uh, we are currently at 295 followers. Our goal is to get to 500. And when we do, we are going to give away a copy of the D&D Rules Compendium, which I'd normally hold up at this point, but I'm in the process of reorganizing. And if I move this curtain, it's like a disaster and I don't know where anything <laughs> is. So you just have to imagine that I'm holding that book up. So it's a print-on-demand copy from DriveThruRPG. Once we get to 500, I'll do a random draw of those 500 people and one person will win a copy that I will send to you. And since this is a faculty meeting, there is one bit of uh, work that has to be done first. So the idea behind these faculty meetings is that myself and the guest, Tanner and Christopher, are going to talk about RPGs. And we hope that through these conversations, we're going to share some of the experience that we have gleaned. And we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Christopher, what is that one piece of advice? <laughs> Oh, I'm so tempted to do the opposite one that I usually use. But since it's your podcast, I'll, I'll do the right way for you. Perfect. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse. As long as your table's having fun, then you're doing it right. So the idea for tonight's show is hopefully going to be chat interactive. So anyone who is in chat, please, we, we want you to communicate with us because it will definitely make the show more entertaining for us, if not for you. Uh, but recently in my Twitter feed, there was some conversation about player PC backgrounds and how and if and why you should incorporate them into the overall story. 
And for me, this kind of exists on a spectrum. On one end, you have the, there is no story except for the players. You come up with the, the player black backgrounds and that determines what the story will be. On the other end, you have the, the DM has created a story that has a beginning, has a middle, has an end. And the players are in that story and they have, you know, I'm going to assume they have agency, but the actual backgrounds are secondary. They don't really drive anything. They're just there for fluff. Uh, I think most of us will probably fit somewhere in the middle and that's kind of where we're going to play tonight. But before I get into that, so Tanner, what's your philosophy on the whole background story driven narrative thingy Bob? That's a great question. Um, it's, it's a big question too. And obviously I think it's going to take us the better part of an hour to arrive at any sort of conclusion to it. But um, when I'm running my games, at least in my usual comfort zone, I do like this I like players to come in with backstories and I like to hook into those backstories with the main story that we're dealing with at the table. Um, I am just of the opinion that whatever is in your character's backstory shouldn't be more interesting than what we're doing at the table because then otherwise, you know, let's all just sit around and write novels, but we're here to play a game. We're here to have an interesting story here, but you know, it's through play that we make the backstories more interesting than they might appear. If you just had them written out somewhere, that's sort of my, no, I, and I completely agree. That's something I've talked about before, that if the backstory is more interesting than the story, then we should be playing that instead. Yeah. Now, now, that could be an opportunity for the DM. Maybe they just don't have a very inspired story and it is a little boring. Or it could be a player who has this really involved back backstory that doesn't really fit the fact that they're supposed to be first level, fresh out of the academy fighters but in their backstory they've already you know saved the world twice and, and inherited their grandmother's plus seven vorpal dragon slayer sword and then they turned to level one <laughs> exactly and then they became level one uh, I, I literally ha I have done that thing where I'm like well I'm like a 40th level wizard but I was in, fi in a fight with a white because back in second edition they would drain your levels, drain your levels and yeah. now I'm back to first level but I have all of this backstory I just have to relearn everything so there's that cheat so Christopher, what about you? How, where do you fall in the spectrum of player-driven or DM-driven or in the middle? Um, I'm kind of in the middle because um, oh, everyone get your glass ready because it's something that's discussed during session zero. Ding, take a drink. Is that because when I run games, I do not want my players to come to the table with characters made because during session zero, we create the world collaboratively and so that means that if you come in with this character already made then you're going to try to shoehorn them in somehow and so you're not going in my opinion you don't get as much of um an organic uh session you don't get an organic story or world because i have to have a b and c to make sure my character fits so none of that crap when you come to the table so the entire first time we meet during session zero is nothing but world creation and character creation. So we make the world first and then, okay, now that we have this world that you've made, now you need to make a character that fits in that world. Yeah. And I think more or less, that's what I would advocate as well. Again, the session that shall not be named. We talk about it all the time and how important it is. And that for me is one of the biggest things that we do is we, as a group, talk about where our characters are from, how they already know each other, what experiences they've had, you know, what is about their character that makes them interesting. And then I want to use that to help create the world. But I often will come to the table with some things already decided. 
Dark Discovery, which sadly is our Patreon game that recently died. Uh, like I knew that they were going to be in the Elven Empire. Uh, and this is some major spoilers for anybody who, who might be listening to that. I knew the secret that the drow were actually in the bodies of the elves and they're the ones that were running everything. Uh, so, so nothing that the players came up with changed that. But what they actually did and how they approached uncovering this information or fighting against it was very much dependent on the backgrounds that we came up with together. So I think I still think there's a little bit of, at least the way I do it, it's not 100% collaborative. It's like 95% collaborative because I have a few things that, because yeah. if I'm going to run a game, usually it's because I have this inspiration. I'm like, oh my God, that's going to be so cool. I want to do that. So I come to the table excited for some aspect and I will let my players have a ton of freedom, but generally I still hold on to that nugget because that's why I want to run. I have that thing mm-hmm. I want to explore, um, but I certainly, I'm not saying that we you shouldn't do one or the other, but that's I'm like a 95 percenter. Yeah, and I'm 100% right there with you with the 95%, and if you can figure out those percentages, <laughs> let me know. But yeah, because the current story that I'm running for my home game is a fantasy world, and um, the players and I collaboratively made the world that this happens in but i already knew what the main storyline was going to be the players discover this old temple to the zephyr knights and in so doing they solve a few riddles fight a necromancer and they discover that the ancient magic of the zephyr knights is still there and um, they pledge their allegiance to the knighthood and they gain these magical artifacts that allow them to fly so at level one i gave them it's Genesis, so it's not actually level one, but you know, right out of the gate, at the end of the first session, they have a limited flight capability because I want to have my players flying around and like rebuilding this ancient, um, this ancient knightly order, kind of like you know, it's the fantasy version of the Jedi coming back, and that was the story I wanted to tell, but I'm telling it in their world, not mine. And then the characters that they make, I incorporate their backstory into the ongoing storyline. I think it's really interesting what you're touched on because I do the same thing. And I also just ran session one of a Genesis game very recently that is going to be coming to your ears pretty soon. If you're listening to shadow of the cabal, but um, I went into the setting. I I knew about, I would say like 75% of what the setting was and I knew what the story was going to be. And I knew what the players roles were going to be. And I said, okay, Let's make some characters together. You are free to fill in details, towns, factions, you know, wherever you came from. Sure. Nothing on my map is set in stone. Um, But then after that, I kind of went in and I said, all right, looking at yours, yours and yours, I'm going to insert a detail into your backstory that will be relevant. And that's something that works for me and my players and my group. And we talked about it. And that's something that we're cool with me as the GM sort of declaring things about their backstory, like saying, oh, I see that your character is a soldier. Okay, when you were on a battlefield during your youth, you saw this. And, you know, right now it doesn't mean anything, but, you know, later on down the line it might mean something. So I think it's a really easy way to have a give and take like that with um, with building a character's backstory where it's not me, it's not them just, you know, doing their thing. It's also me helping tailor it to the world and tailoring, tailoring it to the story that I want to tell. Yeah, I, I've done that fairly recently as well where i'll have a, the player say you know i want to be my character's to be from a small town like okay well what's the name of your small town where is it is it close to the ocean is it nestled in the mountains is it on the plains and they create the village and then i plug it into my world in some place 
Mm-hmm. It may not ever come up, but it's just at least it's a named place. And if I need a village somewhere, why not take them to the one they're from rather than a random one I made up? And then I just I think that helps the game kind of feel immersive because again you're you're not just like the difference between random town and the town i grew up in might be very little in in actuality but i think the perception is that it's different sure and i think that michael you and i a while probably almost a year ago at this point we recorded a faculty meeting about collaborative world building Mm -hmm. and that sort of taps into that too where the easiest way to get a player invested in your world is like christopher mentioned is to help them build it with you you know if you say oh you can be from the elven forest then it's like okay sure i'm from i'm an elf from the elven forest but <sighs> if you get them into saying okay you ask them define what's in here what kind of cool stuff is in here and then through the act of creation of it they're automatically invested in it almost every time so that's a little cheat code for your right. gaming. so i i think more or less like in the 95 percent out of a 97 percent we all think that the session that shall not be named is where you collaboratively build everything. And it's okay if the DM comes with certain things that are set in stone, but the rest is malleable. But the idea of this show tonight is to potentially help someone that maybe doesn't do those sessions that shall not be named or haven't yet, or they feel like their story is what needs to be told and the players are just kind of there. I want to maybe brainstorm some ways on how someone could, could still have their story but also incorporate some of their backstories into the game. So this is where the interactive part happens. I hope there's someone in chat. Give us just like a three or four sentence background that you might have. It could be for a character that already exists in a game you play or you have played. And then we're going to come up with a generic story. And then we'll see how well we can marry them together. So it's kind of like what we've done before with our new student introductions where we take a class and a background. We kind of try to come up with interesting ways to connect them. Except now it's a story and a background rather than a class and a background. Sure. While we wait, um, I can talk about an example from a game I played somewhat recently, if you guys like. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. So um, I played a long-running 5th edition D&D campaign for about eh, the better part of two years. Um, and one of my players was playing, it was like a, like a nautical themed, like pirate type game. One of my players was playing a warlock. And... Um, we were using sort of like a Greek pantheon. And so he was looking at some Greek uh, patrons or like demigods that he could have to be his patron. And he found one God of the deep dark seas. And he had this whole idea of, you know, he drowned, he fell overboard on a ship and this old one basically lifted him up and said, I will return you to the world of the living if you serve me. And so that was just sort of the start, but then me and the player got talking. And as we got into the higher levels, he was like, I want to have a subplot where I betray my patron, my warlock patron. And oh, I love those. Yeah, yeah. And so we actually got to loop that into the main story, which was like fighting a Rakshasa Lord in this in the sea. But um, we got to loop that in because suddenly now he was taking the patron's power, but wasn't upholding his end of the bargain. So we got to, you know, one little throwaway line that was on his character sheet at the start of level one turned into a whole subplot and sub arc in our in our campaign and i thought that kind of stuff was really rewarding but the point i want to make is that it's it doesn't come naturally that came from a not a a lot but a a fair amount of work between me and him to get that backstory going and to get that looped in and it was a conversation it wasn't something that i just threw in because i didn't know he was interested in it he had to communicate it first then we worked together on it so that's the real lesson i think if you're 
you know, if there is a detail that's sitting around on your character sheet, you know, talk to your GM about it. They might want to include it too. So it's always something to consider. Okay. Uh, so uh, Targris has a background for us. I have asked for a little bit more detail, but the, the one they came up with is a Dragonborn. Whoop. Scrolled out of my way. A dra- Dragonborn <laughs> barbarian that is raised among a tribe of nomadic humans. All right, so that is our background. And again, um, Targus goes on to say uh, they felt like they were one of the tribe until they started adventuring and then learned that other humans tended to judge them. uh, First for looking different and then second for acting different. Mm. All right, so we have a a dragonborn barbarian raised by humans but not really accepted by other humans. They're also nomads. They've traveled with these other humans. We don't yet know why. so let's come up with a story that the DM might have. Uh, so I'll, I'll use the one that I used before because I'm always a fan of it. So we've got um, a necromancer who is kidnapping children from a small village on the edge of a swamp. So that's what the story is going to be about. How can we take this barbarian and put them into the story in a way that it links together and creates a more what's what I'm talking about? immersive whole? Christopher, do you have any thoughts? Well, if the necromancer is stealing children, obviously the tribe had just happened to wander by the necromancer's swamp and their children are starting to disappear. And they hear that uh, the dragonborn barbarian is nearby with his tra- his or her traveling companions and sends out a runner being like, help, help, you know, all these people that used to hang out with and, you know, raise like family are missing. You need to find them. And so that just, it's still the p- basic plot that the GM had in mind, but it in, you know it incorporates what the player came up with. Yeah, again, I think that nomadic, whether Targus did it on purpose or not, that's a great background detail because it gives the DM a lot of room, wiggle room to do those sorts of things and go, oh well, you know, they happen to be in this area as well, or it could even be like you know you remember something from years and years ago, something similar happened. Uh, you know, so you kind of give some, like you, you fill in some backstory where, you know, 20 years ago, there were stories of something similar happening. This is what your ancestors did. And that at least, you know, gives them a reason to get involved. Maybe they have knowledge that other people, other characters might not know. Uh, but I do think, yeah, just having some of their, their tribes suffering from this affliction or this, you know, situation would be helpful. All right. What about you, Tanner? Um, so I like the idea that, this tribe was just wandering through and this necromancer swamp is near civilization and there have been other children that have gone missing in it. So maybe that's why some of the other um, people who soon form an adventuring party end up getting together. But for this dragonborn who is from a nomadic tribe of humans, in my mind, they are an outcast in a group of outcasts and that what more lowly, god-awful degenerate job is worth an adventurer's life than that you know like you are not someone who fits in society not even the society that you're in really wants you so the best option for you is to break away try to perform an act of heroism either because you were pressed into it by your nomadic tribe who say oh you must clearly be involved in this you go figure it out or you know they're trying to get you out of their hair one way or another so that's sort of how i would do it if i was going to work with that player and then you know along the way hey maybe you meet up with an elf a dwarf and a half orc and you all form a a a new family together a found family story and like those can always be super interesting but i i i love the hook of 
you're a dragonborn barbarian in a tribe of human barbarians. So to the people in civilization, you're, what are you, you know? So um, I, I like that layer of like, you're a double weirdo in society and <laughs> double weirdos become adventurers that because is, what else are you going to exactly. do? Um, so a couple thoughts that I had that, um, and, and this is where doing this completely cold has some limitations because again, we would probably talk to the player and, and like, I would like to ask, why do you want to play that character? Like, what is it about being that outcast that is interesting to you? And is it that societal pressure where every time you go into a town, people d don't trust you? Or do you just want to be the center of attention because you're exotic and unusual? So whatever it is the, the player's kind of after, I'm going to I'm gonna push it in that way, at least most of the time. Every now and then it's okay to twist it up so that they don't get what they want because it's, you know, changing up expectations. But I think this is that very classic, I don't trust you. Even though we need help, I don't want you to help because you are this outcast, which then the player might be like, well, screw you, I'm going to save these kids to prove you your ignorance it's it's basically what came to my mind was blazing saddles you know again i'm not gonna get too far into it because the movie of its time but you have someone that the town doesn't want to help but is absolutely the right person for the job and over time they learn to trust and maybe come to love and accept that outcast because they are willing to do something someone else won't do uh, the other avenue would be maybe this village is also of mixed heritage and you know, these parties are going out looking for these kids, but no one seems to be looking for the half-orc. Like, they mm -hmm. just don't care about the half-orc kid. And so they find some kids, but they don't find the half-orc. And the barbarian's like, like, why are you not going after this child, too? It doesn't matter that they're a half-orc or whatever the race you want to use. And they're like, you know, this isn't fair. This is what I deal with. This is the, you know, the segregation I'm, I deal with. So I want to go find that kid because no one else seems to want to. So you have a way where that character either connects to a particular missing child or trying to show the village that they are worthy of being a part of the village. Love it. Uh, Jay Thunderific in, on Twitch uh, has one that speaks to my heart. I'm very into this. Um, <laughs> the prompt that they give is a swordsman sworn to collect the blood of 1,000 lives on his blade. This is the only way that he can gain the forgiveness from his late wife who blames him for the loss of their daughter. Kugan. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're telling my kind of story. Pardon me. I had a little something in my throat. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is an awesome prompt. This is one of those backstories that if a player came to me with, I would be like, I like where your head's at. You're, you're <laughs> in the right place. I'm loving it. But this one definitely is something that you need to workshop because if you look at what this is and what this... Um, what this prompt is basically if led astray the objective for this whole thing could basically be you know your objective is to take a thousand lives so that's a short walk to being a murder hobo so uh, 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 uh. it says collect the blood of a thousand lives it doesn't say collect a thousand souls so Sorry. i could just go around and you know, <laughs> paper cut everybody. Paper cut everybody. <laughs> Death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, no, but I, I'm really into that. I like the idea of, so to me, with the type of stories I like to tell, the type of characters I like to say, this to me seems like a doomed character. This is a Shakespearean tragedy <laughs> waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. Here. So um, I would definitely work with that player because I would love to work with that player and, you know, create a story that would say, okay, we're going to start with you at the top wanting to do the righteous thing. The reluctant hero, of course, I have to do evil. I have to hurt people to gain the forgiveness. And then 
we're going to keep pushing you and we're going to keep pushing you and pushing you and pushing you through the story. And we're going to see where your character's line is. Is it 50 dead people? Is that worth your wife's forgiveness? A hundred, 500, 700, you know, and being able to push that line and figure out where that character's line is um, in a story. And obviously in this story, you would need, if you wanted to incorporate it, you would need to have a story where taking a life is a, primary form of conflict resolution <laughs> which luckily it is in lots of rpgs so that's sort of where my brain would be at with it i don't know uh what about you guys so i'll go second just give i went last last time so i'll give christopher more time to think um so the first thing that came to my mind there would be um again i'm gonna talk to the player and we'll, i'm gonna get a little bit more detail a bit more information but i totally see this where we start with like 950 already collected Ooh. So, so we're already close there to the end, go. but, but I'm going to set, there's gotta be, there's, there's something about the lives that, that matter. I can't just be a random thing. You know, it has to be someone, you know, an evil person or someone who's done wrong or done you wrong, or maybe just more powerful. Like you can't just go kill 70 goblins and call it a day. It has to be a worthy opponent. And then when we get to like 980, they are going to be crossed with a female warrior who is turned to a life of crime because their father abandoned them. Ooh. And are, are they going to hurt this child who was lost from their parentage to fulfill their mission of trying to get forgiveness for losing their child? And that, that's where I want to see that player struggle. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Remind me to consult with you when I start <laughs> running out of the cabal too. I need to bounce some ideas off your evil brain. All right, Christopher, how about you? How would you work that background into a story? Well, I was going to mention something very similar to what you just said, in that one of the um, specific missions that the uh, that the swordsman is given is to uh, kill a specific um, child, whether it's of someone they know or not, but you know, someone who's in the very same situation. So, like, I need to kill somebody's daughter but i have already lost a daughter i know what that's like you know this person doesn't deserve to go through what i've gone through because look what happened to me but at the same time you know like an evil spirit is possessing this this kid or um maybe um uh, a lich has taken over this child's body and is using it for evil things i don't know if you guys have ever seen supernatural but Lilith, oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know you 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 have to kill this girl. She's the most evil demon of evil demons, stuck in what was she like eight or nine yeah. year old body? It was just the creepiest. Are we allowed to swear on this? We can, but we try not to unless it's just creepiest. really. Neat. I, I ask Michael every week, and he's like, oh, "Please no." I mean, we try to keep it PG thirteen, so you get like one. Okay, that. That's a good good use of it though, because okay. it's just so freaking creepy. Yeah. And like, make sure that the the player, at the same time, wants to kill this 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 girl, but the same you know, so that the the character, I'm sorry, the character wants to kill this girl because it is such a horrible um, NPC. But the player is having the internal turmoil. Like, I I, I don't know if I can do this because this is why my character is a murder hobo and I know they have parents who's going to, you know, do the same thing I'm doing and it's just going to be horrible. I would be remiss if I did not mention that if you are, are going to include uh, child murder or segregation as topics in your game, just, you know, make sure you talk with your players about that first. That would be a, 
Session zero. Session oh, zero. Yeah. Social contract. T- yeah, talking about lines and content warnings and all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely. Um, I can give you links of two different podcasts I've been on talking about um, social contract. Um, I can give you a link of podcasts that I've been on where kids die. <laughs> Put us together. We got the perfect sessions. Bro. That's right. Take a drink. Um, so what's that movie? Uh, Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. I believe it's Kill Bill Part 1 where the bride goes after the other vipers. And there's one where she's in the kitchen. And, yeah, and they, like the very beginning of it. And yeah. they, she kills the other assassin in front of that assassin's child. And the child basically says, I'm going to come kill you when I'm older. And she's like, I'll see you then. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of the same sort of thing. Like, you know, I'm going to hurt this child, this possessed being who's innocent other than they're possessed. But what does it look like to the outside world? Does everyone know that this small, innocent being is possessed? Or does it just look like you're a murderer uh, doing horrible things? And how do you deal with that consequence? Are you okay with it? Or does that cause other problems? And I think for me, what this gets to the heart of is what I particularly like to do Rather than taking specifics necessarily from my background, I like to take themes. Mm -hmm. So the theme of forgiveness or seeking redemption, how can I play with that in my story? Pair them with another character who has the same similar journey or who has the opposite ideology. And how does that work together? Put them on the cusp, getting what they want, but then is it worth the price to get that? Uh, I, I just I think that's a more interesting way often because then you have the freedom because it does it's not going to mess with your story because no matter what they come up with, if you just use the themes, you can incorporate it into whatever you're doing. You don't have to include that particular magic item or this war or this monarch. It's just you have a problem with authority. Okay, right. well you're going to go into a small village with a corrupt mayor. There's only 17 people in the village, but this dude's an a hole. <laughs> you're going to have problems with it because the, the authority issues. I would, I like to zoom in on that theme a little bit more. I like what you're saying about sort of taking the theme, which is sort of the, the, the core nugget of storytelling from that is, is the theme of it. And, um, something I did in Shadow of the Cabal, a theme that I like to play with a lot. And you, like you mentioned with Kill Bill is, it's just sort of a trope of samurai stories too, which is the, the idea of the cycle of violence where nobody ever gets even, you know, like it, the road to revenge will only lead in a grave for everybody involved and being able to loop those back in and onto each other. Every time the PCs cross somebody or somebody crosses them, that can be a whole running sub theme. Even if your game is about something completely different, you know, suddenly you've added a third dimension to the storytelling of your game, which is something that's very, very valuable. Thinking about themes in general is a really good way to do that. Yeah. Cause you did that like what, six or seven times each episode of shadow of the cabal. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> And it worked 87% of the time. Yeah. Hey, I'll take that. That's, that, a, B that, that's a B plus. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think some other things that I would think like for, for that example specifically would be, is that your character's ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. So is this the sort of thing that if, if your PC gets to that moment, they've captured 999 souls and they are right in front of someone that they have to defeat, but they're that child and they decide, okay, I'm going to do it. Okay, great. Or they say, you know what? I can't. I'm going to turn away from this path of revenge. Is one of those the end of that character? Is it? Is that they, okay, I'm done. I'm going to retire the character because that's where I end? Or do they want to be that a springboard to the next part of the story? Because if it's the end, then that needs to be the end of the campaign. Mm-hmm. If it's if they're okay with it being like a midpoint, then it can come earlier. 
Uh, you know, I don't want I don't want to build to a character who's like, okay, I'm gonna retire now three sessions in because they got to their goal and they're like, my that's all my character lived for. I've now accomplished that. I don't want to play them anymore. Right, and as long as you and your group are playing responsibly, as in like you and your GM aren't trying to like negate each other's plans or anything like that. If you're going into a campaign and your character's mission or core conflict or backstory can be resolved in like the first three sessions that might just be a sign that your it's their backstory or their drive or whatever you want to call it it wasn't robust enough and you need to go back to the drawing board and you know you can go back to the drawing board without um completely rolling up a new character or anything like that but i don't think there's a way to go back to the drawing board without uh some heavy discussion between you and your group to make that work because it's totally fine for characters to tack in different directions you see that in every media all the time like you know find any tv show where like supernatural season arc supernatural yeah Yeah. supernatural season 10 wow they're they're really still at it huh (laughs) yeah yeah. it's no longer supernatural it's just natural because they've done it so many times it's not special but i I think that speaks to the old uh, the idea of using themes versus specifics if you're specifically trying to kill a particular bad guy in this world, then when you kill them, we have to deal with what that means for your character. But if you're a character who seeks to write injustices, I can play on that in every place that we go. And every time you're going to have a reason to stand up for the little person against this you know, tyrannical uh, monarchy or whatever the case may be. And I can constantly give you the satisfaction of fulfilling a little bit of that, you know, the button that we're trying to hit without you actually having to fight the particular person that you're after until way later in the game. So do you guys find, I guess we are all GMs here. Do you find that there are aspects of backstories that are especially difficult to bring in? Um, I know that we talked about how you can sort of distill anything down to like themes and those are easy to bring in, but are there things that you find that, you know, when a player comes to you with some things you your first instinct is to workshop that thing a little bit, or you find otherwise sort of obtuse to include in your story. Christopher. Um, I think for me, the hardest thing to always incorporate is the, I come from a small village. Everybody's dead. I have no friends or family. I'm a loner <laughs> Yep. because those types of characters or the, I'm the only non chaotic evil insert chaotic evil race here um all of my kin hate me i distrust everybody and i have this really cool pet panther who you can't pronounce his name because it's so emo meet my swords icing death and twinkle yeah exactly it's it's guinevere (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that you're you're touching on something that's really important where there's no there's no hooks there's nothing to grab on that character there's no way to motivate them to do something saying my whole family yeah like my whole family died that's a thing that happened to you that's not a thing i can interact with in any way i mean there is a way is just to say that the minions of the big bad of the arc is the ones who murdered everybody so but the whole revenge thing is kind of boring and overdone and like we talked about earlier, once that revenge happens, okay, now what? What is your character anymore? Like, well, and then also, if you're if you're consumed by that, you're going to be pushing the story. If anytime someone wants to do something that's not going towards your objective, are you going to just bail? Because I don't right. care about anybody. The three of you want to go over here. I need to go this way, so I'm going this way. Screw you. Uh, I think for and I've I've touched on this before, but I think for me, 
if I have a player who really wants to do that, we're going to have some conversations and it's going to be the typical Wolverine situation where eventually this player is going to come to realize that they do have a family. It's the adventurers they've been on the whole way, the whole time. They're going to eventually realize that, Spoiler they, warning, Michael, they, come on. <laughs> that they would give up their lives for these people. But this is again, the classic Michael secrets at the table, secrets, t- players, characters, everyone at the table is going to know this is what Sarah's going for. We're around level four. She's going to start to have a turn. And mm-hmm. and we're going to put up with this gruffness now because we know it's building to something. She's not just being a jerk and will always be a jerk. Her arc is going from a jerk to a, a fatherly or motherly figure. So we're all on board with it. We all know what's happening. We're all going to be okay with it because we know what it's going for, not just, crap, Sarah, come on. But... If that's going to be the case, it has to be made explicit when you guys are building your characters. You don't just come to the table and be like, okay, I'm a loner who hates everybody and keeping the idea in your head because then the other players are just going to get pissed at you for playing this character that doesn't play well with others. And then you're like, oh, but... And then in your head, you're starting to resent them because they don't get it. They don't understand what you're trying to do. No, tell everybody... This is the arc I want my character to go on. So I'm going to start off as this standoffish, bossy character who doesn't give a flip about anybody else. And then, you know, so that way that they can see where you're going and help along the way. Because if they don't know where you're at and where you're going, they're going to be floundering in the dark. So if you have a specific arc in mind for your character based on backstory, let the table know so they can help with that. Mm Mm-hmm. That's how I would do it. I know some people disagree with that. <laughs> and those people are right as long as they're enjoying it in their game. Correct. Um, and not hurting anybody else. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's a big part of that. Um, the other, well, You're talking about, Tanner, about the, the backgrounds. I don't know of any that I would say are difficult, though there probably are examples that if someone said, I want to do this, I'd be like, oh, crap, that's hard. But thinking about it in the big picture, but I will say there are things that I find are easier. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is what I try to do. Like when I When I ask for backgrounds, a lot of the time, I don't want a lot of detail. I want some bullet points. Uh, and then we can fill in those details later. So if you tell me that you're estranged from your family, I don't necessarily need you to tell me the name of your father, or your mother, how many siblings you have. Just I'm estranged from my family. Okay. Well, maybe in session four, you're going to get a letter from your uncle who I just made up, but is part of this estranged family. And it's going to draw you into something. But if you say I have three sisters and one cousin, then I have to use those specific characters and I may do something that violates what you had had canon, even though you never shared it with me in your head, you had certain information that's, you know, it's in your mind. So if you just give me some broad strokes, I can use that much easier. Uh, there's one topic that I want to touch on too. And the idea of when you're making a backstory for your character, this is when I'm telling my players, cause I play for radio, which is a different set of considerations. What I say is, if your backstory details, if it's not going to come up at the table, it is not canon and it doesn't matter. Because for me and our group, I want backstory to matter as it relates to the story that we're telling at the table, which we kind of touched on earlier. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I saw some dialogue on my Twitter feed um, with this idea of play and backstory writing that is specifically a solo activity. Like, 
that would be like if you michael were a character in my game you know you might just think you know while you're in the shower or driving to work you might think of what their backstory is what their parents names are even if it's not something that ever comes out at the at the table um james damato i think he called this personal play adam coble calls it lonely fun which i think is a better, <laughs> a better term for it um but it's the idea that there there is a certain type of play that you do that is only for you and for you alone um I think that's totally good, but like for me, what I tell my players is that it's awesome that you came up with a name for your parents. It's awesome that you know your your mother was a, a baker and your father was a farmer until he lost the farm. This, this, and this. That's great. Make it matter at the table, and that's what matters to all of us. You know, like it's great that you have a ten-page backstory for your character. That's awesome. As long as you can make it matter at the table for the story that we are telling that's cool otherwise it is kind of just a creative writing exercise which those can be fun and those can be absolutely valuable and they can make your play better but it's not the it doesn't give the group the same amount of bang for your buck as it would be if you just played it at the table yeah and that's kind of my viewpoint as well and it goes right along with that personal play that if if you as a player enjoy that and it really helps you develop a well-rounded character you feel like you can embody them better you kind of know how to role play them at the table because you have all this backstory great but I'm probably not going to read it. Like as the DM, <laughs> I'm not going to read 10 pages of backstory. I'm going to ask you some broad stroke themes like, oh, okay. So your family lost their farm and they had to migrate somewhere else. How can I use that theme of being forced away or, you know, the, the bank's taking your property, whatever. I'm going to use that. I'm not necessarily going to use a specific person who foreclosed on your farm or whatever the case may be, because I'm not going to read it well enough to know that. Right. Because yeah. an important thing to remember is that, yeah, you might have this awesome backstory with all of these intricate details that you've written for your character, but guess what? There are three to five to seven other characters who also have backstories. And so for the time being anyway, GMs are not machines. They can't remember every single thing as perfectly as when you gave it to them. So do your GM a solid and just give them you know, half a page of like 10 bullet points and that's it. Mm-hmm. because let's face it if the gm were to give you that many pages of world lore <laughs> you're not going to read it nope so i know, why I know they what have to read that players. much of your character lore i've i've tried i've tried to send lore to my players and they did oh, not read it i that, that is a real yeah i mean from the gm perspective i think the reason why i feel so strongly about the whole like if it doesn't happen at the table it's not real thing is because i am a gm who i I, and every GM is like this, I'm sure, where you prepare a lot of stuff that doesn't end up happening, whether <laughs> through, through player choice or through your own miscalculation and planning or, you know, whatever reason, pure accident, you forget to bring something up. But, you know, the stuff that I planned to happen at the table that didn't end up happening because you chose a different path, that stuff is the same level of canon as your character's backstory and your mom's name and the guy who foreclosed yeah. your farm they're nebulous they're off screen they're they won't matter until they come up at the table you know like if you're watching your favorite tv show supernatural it doesn't matter who the character's best friend in third grade was until it comes up on the episode and that's when it matters previously on and then you're like (laughs) oh wait in season two remember i mentioned dave my best friend (laughs) guess what dave's in this episode i'm trying to think um when sam uh meets lucifer for the first time and he and he's trying to convince sam to say yes they bring back some of the characters from like 
episode one at the Halloween party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, they supernatural has done that. Yeah. Uh, Targris in chat says that um, their group is really into 13th age these days between the one unique thing, backgrounds and icon relationships. I basically got what I need as a GM right out of the gate. I cannot agree with you more. That is a, awesome set of tools that are a required part of character creation that sets your GM up with a hook for each one of those things, which yeah. is awesome. Cause those are, those are things that are all present to your point, Tanner. These aren't things that are just headcanon. You're mm-hmm. specifically saying something about your character and this world whenever those come up and play and they become part of the world. Uh, there's a couple things I want mm-hmm. to touch on just off what you had said there, Tanner. Um, Somewhat of a contradiction, I guess more of like a, a side, sideways, I'm agreeing with you sideways, is sometimes <laughs> things that don't happen at the table, if they don't matter, then it doesn't matter that they did happen. So what I mean by yes. this, okay, so... No, no, I, I follow you. Okay, yeah. so I was Wait, playing a game... That, that one more time. <laughs> so I was playing a game, and it was not a very good game. Okay, GM, new to the system, wasn't running it very well. Long story short, there was a period of time where my character just kind of wasn't involved in the action. So in my head, I created this whole scene because my character was like a con man and they were in a hotel and my character wasn't involved in what was going on upstairs. So in my head, I was downstairs in the lobby. I was whining and dining this rich lady and we had this great conversation. She gave me her number. I stole her wallet. So later on when I needed to do a thing, I'm like, I already have this wallet. So none of, no one knew any of that. That was all in my head. But because it didn't contradict what happened at the table, it's just as real as anything else. And my enjoyment of that game greatly benefited from the scene that I'm the <laughs> only one to knew about. Yeah, yeah. That's such a cool thing. I didn't even think about that. Because basically what you were doing was you were you were having some lonely fun at the table. You were staying in character. And that just sounds were... so dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the table? Ugh. Lonely fun is not permitted at a catacomb table. Sorry. We'll escort you out. Um, catacomb you know, after dark. Right. Meet room 207. <laughs> what you were doing is you were, you're staying in character in your own way. You know, you may have been checked out as to what the action at the table was, but you were, because you have GM chops, you were working through a scene in your mind and you were writing a story that, I would argue that did end up mattering. Uh, but I mean, that's just semantics at that point, right? right. You made it matter in a way that kept the action flowing and kept you engaged, which I think is the bigger part. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing I was going to talk about was that collaboration process can extend beyond the session that shall not be named. And maybe four sessions in, we know that we're, you know, we, we end a session with you're going into a village and right as you walk in, there's like a, a witch trial. All right, and that's where we end the session. We're going to pick up next session. As a player, go to your DM and say, hey, you know, I wrote my backstory that I was traveling on the road one night and I met this person and we became friends and then that was it. Maybe this witch is that person. You know, mm-hmm. the DM may not have, they're just a random peasant who's going to, you know, we want, we want you to get involved, but why not make them this person, I guess ask for your story to come forward. Like don't to Christopher's point, don't assume your GM has memorized your backstory, but say, Hey, can this village be that village I mentioned? Can this person be that person I mentioned? Okay. Yeah. That doesn't affect my story. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. I, and like, like we said, that comes back around to the idea of, player GM collaboration when it comes to making your character stories and you're making it making a story that matters to your character as opposed to like you said random peasant girl number 12 so, <laughs> yeah yeah 
All right. So uh, we'll throw it out to chat one more time. Uh, does anybody have any other backgrounds they want to talk about or maybe a, an idea for a story? And then we could come up with a background and kind of reverse engineer it there. Uh, but I think what we've got across, what I'm hoping, is that if you're the type of DM who doesn't do this, maybe because you're afraid that they will destroy your story. <laughs> no. Go write a book. Uh, you know, just you can absolutely incorporate the backstory to make it a more immersive experience without in any way jeopardizing your story if you don't want it to. We're all okay with that collaboration process, but even if you're not, you still can make it make sense for the characters to make it more important to them than just, oh, this is another town. This is the town we came from. This isn't just another dragon. This is the dragon that I flushed down the, the into the sewer when I was a child, and now it's a giant swamp alligator monster dragon. Yeah, um, the one thing I do want to touch on when it comes to stories or c creating player backstories like in a collaborative manner, this is just something that this kind of an aside, but it's just on my head because it happened recently. I was talking with one of my players for our Genesis game, and uh, they had the idea. It's like, okay, I want my my character to come from this organization, and and they're involved in this organization, and th this is what this organization does, yada yada yada, so on and so forth. It was really interesting stuff, but I could see there because I already had the idea of what I wanted the story to be or the direction for it to go to. And I was able to nip that in the bud a little bit, not nip it in the bud. That sounds a little bit more harsh than it was, but me saying, okay, this organization that you outlined, their goals and beliefs won't really matter for what the story we're going to play at the table is that that's just, those are just two different directions. That's not really where they're going to go. So in an effort to sort of realign that, I said, okay, I'm not going to contradict anything you said about this organization or this faction that you're from, but how are we going to make, how are we going to loop them in? How are we going to get them related? And then at that point I said, okay, here's the loose story. You're going to be hunting down so-and-so. That's what this game is going to be about. So now it's on you as the player, and this is a another little task of Lonely Fun of how do you go through the process of looping your character and you know, making this organization that you just made up and trying to reintegrate them with the story that I am sort of setting up for you. And so, like I said, that kind of back and forth is just really, really valuable as opposed to the, you know, the character saying, oh, I'm a paladin of smiting evil and fighting the undead. Oh, this is a jungle exploration story. There's no demons or undead in it. Sorry. Like, you know, that's a bad feeling. That's an icky feeling. And it's, yeah. You have to make that mistake once or twice, I think, to be able to see it in the bud. But I'm like, okay, you're barking up a very cool tree, <laughs> not the tree we are climbing today. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to put it next to us, let's do that. And again, that goes right back to, again, the session that shall not be named, where as the DM, you should say, the, the adventure I'm going to run is set in a jungle. That's mm -hmm. what you're going to be doing. You're going to be dealing with natural obstacles, ancient cultures, traps, Indiana Jones, basically. So create a character that would make sense for that game so you're mm -hmm. either the adventurer like you're the indiana jones or you can be the person who's totally a fish out of water but being the paladin that smites evil you're not going to have as much to do here as you might in another game so right you're not going to be able to do your your thing your thing yeah yeah so i thought jay thunderific had an idea for a story but it hasn't come up yet so it might still be typing um so let's talk a little bit about uh oh just came oh, in there it is okay Plot hook. The elemental planes are emerging into the material plane. Towns are being swallowed by seas of fire, mountain ground into desert sands, and ports are freezing over. The world is in complete chaos, and everyone is looking for someone to step up and fix it. 
the avatar. <laughs> My character is a paladin who smites evil. And- <laughs> uh, no, I love that. That's an awesome one. Um, so, Michael, you just agreed to sit down at a game with me, and this is the premise I gave you. Uh, what do you do? What, what kind of character are you thinking about making for this? How do you make a backstory that matters to this? That isn't... I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to take it up a step. Okay. It, can't, it can't be a strictly revenge thing. It's, yeah. You can't do, oh, my town was swallowed up by the desert and I want to solve it. You got you to gotta go one step higher than that. So, Because that's the easy one. I think we all agree. Right. Well, I also think like this is such a like world-shattering problem that any character should have a motivation to get involved as long as they have the expertise to do so. This isn't, you know, politics, a crime syndicate, even a necromancer in the swamp. This is, if this continues, the world will be irrevocably damaged. So really any backstory could work, but I would want to have a character that maybe uh, they are from like, like a long line of shaman and they have passed down stories of, of old where something similar has happened. You know, it's like the character in Independence Day who's like, there are aliens and everyone laughs until the aliens show up. <laughs> and, you know, maybe this person has been saying, you know, this cataclysm is coming for years. They're like that crazy guy in the street. And then when it actually happens, like, oh, crap, maybe you actually know something. So like a <laughs> an outcast and a sage background kind of mixed together. Um, so they like, if you could work with a DM where you know things that maybe you don't really have a reason to know, but you could make a role and like, yes, you do see that there's a something that happens that, that for that portents when something's going to happen. So you get like a day's warning before the next thing happens. So you can try to, you know, get a village to safety or something like that. So that's the first thing that came to my mind. What about you, Christopher? What character are you making for this? I am making the character who wants to not stop this Mm. because my character comes from a town that um, historically was in a very, good area but had slowly but surely been destroyed due to a b and c and so the land is just not worth a darn and then this portal to the elemental plane of water just opened up nearby and filled up this reservoir that had been dried up for three generations and has actually caused good to happen in the world and they hear about all these people trying to stop it it's like no this is actually can be a good thing let's not stop it Let's learn to control it. Let's figure out how to use it for the betterment of everybody instead of just, oh, it's bad in one location, therefore it has to be bad all, all over the place. Let's figure out why it's doing what it is, close off the, the, the seas of fire that are you know destroying towns, but we'll leave like the ice in the desert so there's an oasis. We'll leave um, a little bit of the elemental plane of fire to kind of get this nice breeze in and these tundra areas where people are living or, you know, something like that. So it's learned to control it. And my character comes from a background of people who might have been, you know, the pariah for being crazy people for believing in science in a fantasy world. Yeah. I'm into that. That's awesome. That's a, that's a super cool twist on it. I, I like how you changed it from not stopping it to controlling it. Cause that was my, when we first said that is like, but then we're going to have, butting heads and like one of us are going to kill the other but trying to control it is more like a dr smith character in lost in space where our our goals aren't completely aligned but i'm probably not just going to screw you over i'm just going to try to put myself first and i think that could be a very interesting uh conflict and drama from the table and honestly the first thing that popped into my mind was um 
was a warlock of an elemental power that just when this thing happened just gained you know elemental water ability or something like that and so it's like look good things can happen uh I, again this is totally random but uh, i've said many times before i love the west coast avengers but i'm like the west coast avengers from the 80s like i have no idea who squirrel girl is but I, I, there was a there was a mini series of the west coast avengers uh that had the great lakes avengers in it and all kinds of crazy stuff and there was a uh, like a two or three issue arc where they went into a different dimension and they were being tested sort of like by the beyonder but it wasn't the beyonder and they and each one of them was had to like pass a test so uh, they're you know basically like seven of them are frozen, one of them is free, and they have to do a certain thing to pass the test. Well, they finally got to Moon Knight, who was one of my favorite characters, uh, and basically he had to fight this like crazy like I don't know, like monster that's just like I think it's like a robot or something. And he's like, I'm just like a dude, you know, like I can't possibly do this. And of course, someone goes, look around. We're in, in a dimension that has like a thousand moons. And he looks around. He's like, holy crap. And then he turns into Superman and he rips the robot apart because he draws his power from the moon. So to Christopher's point, you know, maybe you have like this very small trickle of power because you're connected to this elemental plane that suddenly gets wide open because it is now on the material plane. So like I said, you get this like rush of power. The floodgates have been opened. Yeah. So you don't want that to go away. You're not, you don't want the world to be destroyed, but you don't want to give up Hard this power fight. either. I love it. You guys are both in. You've, you've earned your spots <laughs> in my game. Yay! Yeah. So will this be Genesis then, since you're running it? No, we're gonna we're gonna do the D and D rule cyclopedia for this. Oh one. yeah! Oh. It's bringing it full circle. Yay! Awesome. Mic drop. We're done. <laughs> so we are close to ten o'clock. So I think we will wrap it up there. But we will throw it out to the audience, as I always like to do. If there are any questions, and they don't have to be related to what we've talked about already. And they don't have to be related to D&D or role-playing games in general, but though it makes sense if they often they are. So while we're waiting for anyone in the chat who has questions, I'll go to you, Christopher. Once again, where can people find you and what are you working on that they might be interested in? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at C double, C double underscore Beck. I am working on the Excess Advantage podcast, excess-advantage.com. It is a fortnightly release right now, which for those of you who don't speak in Britishisms, that means every other week. It's to avoid the ambiguity of using the word bi-weekly. <laughs> All right, Tanner, what about you? Um, like I mentioned earlier, I am the host of the Shadow of the Cabal podcast. We play role-playing games, and we are heavily edited, and we focus on mystery, intrigue, action, and everything in between. Uh, we have a whole series where we played a Legend of the Five Rings campaign. We are currently playing a campaign of Knights Black Agents. We have some Genesis stuff coming up, and then hopefully after that, we are getting back into L5R with the new edition, which we are all very, very excited for. Um, other than that, you can find me on Twitter at SOTCpod for the show. And uh, we just launched a bunch of merch um, for Shadow of the Cabal. I have a couple of designs on our TeePublic website, and 100% of the proceeds go to the ACLU, so we don't make a dime off of them. So if you want to wear some cool designs and you want to support a good cause, uh, check that out. That's on our Twitter. You can find a link to that there. All right. Very, very cool. Uh, as for myself, as always, at the RPG Academy, anywhere that you would look, if you find something, it's probably me. If it's not, let me know because I got to go talk to somebody because uh, <laughs> what the hell. Um, uh, Catacon, uh, badges go on sale in roughly three weeks. It, it, it's the same day that uh, Gen Con starts, so I'm counting down to both of them. 
I originally I meant it, I meant it to be September first, and then I some at some point I changed it to August on accident, and now I'm stuck with it. So yeah, so the day I'm leaving for Gen Con is the day the badges go on sale. Uh, we did set our prices finally. We have a, we're using a new provider this year, so the fees are a little bit different. Uh, they're not. I think. I don't think anything changed more than a dollar or two one way or the other. They're pretty much what they were supposed to be. But they are out. Um, the tickets will go live on August 1st. There'll be links, all that kind of good stuff. And then once Gen Con is over, we'll start looking at getting submissions for events from the special guests, from all the faculty and from all the GMs. And hopefully around mid-October, we will be able to start registering. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm basically now counting down to Gen Con. And then after Gen Con, I'm counting down to... Um, a catacon, so exciting and repeat stuff. that every year, forever and ever, never stop. <sighs> we'll now, see. I will say to anybody listening, if you are looking for the best value for dollar you spend on a convention to the amount of games you can play, um, a catacon is it, in, in my opinion. I've been to a couple conventions, and the prices are absolutely ridiculous for <laughs> the amount of stuff that you can do there. So that's awesome. Yeah, I I do try, and again, this is all self uh aggrandizing but i do try to make it a value like it's very clear i'm not good at the business side of any of this stuff but i'm not i'm not (laughs) trying i'm not i mean that's that's just true i'm not very good at the business side i'm not trying to make money i'm a businessman come on yeah i'm I'm just trying to you know break even making maybe make a little bit of profit that we can put back into the show or something so i'm trying to make it as reasonable and I, i wouldn't make it more expensive than it needs to be and based off of last year, for us to get the money we need, $42 is what the badges needed to be. That's why they're $42. So if we end up getting a whole bunch of extra people, I'll get extra profit. But I'm just going to roll that into next year. So, you know, let's just keep on trucking. So anyway, with that, any last words before we sign off, Christopher? Um, I, I'm usually – I was just so ready to say my standard closing for my podcast that I was like, wait, wrong cast. So, I mean, I, I could do that if – Go for it. And just remember, whether you succeed or fail at your role, always check for excess advantage. Excellent. All right, Tanner. Uh, I don't have any f- fun catchphrases on my show. I'm, I'm just realizing I don't have one. Uh, but I'll say uh, go out in the world and do something good. Be nice to somebody and uh, give some money to somebody who, who, who needs it and be a good person. Fantastic. So, with that – We'll say goodbye, everyone. Wave out. Bye-bye. Awkward wave. Awkward wave out. Bye-bye. Peace. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay and it doesn't cost you anything extra. 
Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.